Well, hi there, literary spider lovers. Welcome to another episode of that Nineties Spider-Man show. More specifically, welcome to the very, very first book club. Book club is something we'll be doing a bit more on our Patreon feed, but since we've done with the season, we thought we'd give you a little freebie. And this time, we're going to be talking about the Ultimate Spider-Man series. I am your host, I'm Henry, and alongside me, as always, is my trusty co-host, it's Jack. Here to bring some... I was going to say comic book knowledge, but I just geekdom. Geekdom, yeah. yeah. We've, we've finally descended into geekdom. Today we're talking about Ultimate Spider-Man, but specifically the Ultimate Collection Volume 1, yeah. which includes the first 13 issues of the first Ultimate Spider-Man from 2000, I think it starts. Yeah. Written by Brian Michael Bendis, by Mark Bagley. Mark Bagley. Yeah, so I guess the, the first thing I'd get into with this is... This is quite an important series for me. Not just because I like it, but because effectively in the late 90s, Spider-Man had obviously gone off the rails a little bit, mm-hmm. as had most Marvel stuff. Yeah. Most comic stuff in general. The 90s were not a good time. No. Also, Marvel were basically going bankrupt, which is the reason why they ended up selling all the rights to stuff like Spider-Man. X-Men, Fantastic Four. Yeah, exactly. Uh, all their big properties. And they tried to relaunch Spider-Man with a thing called Year One, where they basically retroactively changed his origin. Mm -hmm. And they made it that, oh, it was this explosion that went off in a lab, and it also created Dr. Octopus. And they basically retold the origin and had this one series that they redid all the classic villains and stuff, but just tweaking it a little bit. But then no one liked it. So they just kind of pretended it didn't happen and then just went back to the original Spider-Bite origin. Yeah. Well, yeah, in 2000 is what I would suppose is another attempt at that. But this time, we basically, we want new readers. So let's create this whole universe, the Ultimate Universe. You know, we can have Ultimate X-Men, Ultimate Fantastic Four, Ultimate Spider-Man, The Ultimates, which is... uh, you know, Avengers, basically. Uh-huh. It's going to be a bit more modern. It's going to be a bit darker. It's going to be uh, a new jumping on point for readers. Yeah. And eventually that universe did go completely off the rails in a lot of ways and became very convoluted itself. But the point at the time was like, we need a, you a know, somewhere start. you can jump on yeah. as a reader without being so confused about the crazy history of all these characters over yeah. decades. That's a good idea, in theory. Yeah. I think there's some highlights and lowlights throughout. Yeah. But the one shining beacon throughout the whole thing is that I think Ultimate Spider-Man is incredible start to finish. I can't remember. Maybe they did like 160 issues or something. Went on for a little while. Then they ended Peter Parker's story. Ultimate Spider-Man became about Miles Morales. Mm -hmm. And then Miles Morales, eventually this universe ends and Miles Morales got brought into the regular universe retroactively. Yeah. This is also where a lot of the movie stuff comes from. Like, there's right. a few random things in The Avengers, which was taken more from The Ultimates than it was taken from The Avengers comic books. Mm-hmm. Uh, a few random things, like Nick Fury looking like Samuel Jackson. Yeah. Or the fact that it's S.H.I.E.L.D. organising them. Even the first Raimi Spider-Man movies... They draw more from this origin a little bit. Really? Yeah. The idea of him being on a field trip at Oscorp, there's a genetically altered spider that bites him. Mary Jane is there, Flash mm, is there. Yeah. The original origin is 
there's like a radiation experiment and Peter is there just with a bunch of adults. A spider gets involved in the experiment and then bites him. So like a riff on like the um, Spider-Man the animated series like opening theme song where like a spider just in an experiment and it bites Peter Parker. Yeah, although I wouldn't call a 60s origin a, a riff on a 90s cartoon. I mean like, splitting heads here. I guess you could. <laughs> That's how time works, right? Yeah, Stanley was inspired by Spider-Man the animated series. Yeah, it's like Looper. Yeah. <laughs> All this to say that this has been a very good streamlining of that. The way I came into it is I read some comics when I was very young. Um, yeah. And I had like books about Spider-Man. I had all these fat files about comics I hadn't read. Obviously, I eventually got into the movies and I watched Spider-Man the animated series and all this stuff. But I didn't have a comic shop in my town. And occasionally there were like, they did these compilation sort of issues of like reprints from a few years back that would be in news agents and stuff. Yeah. And that would include, like, I think it was called a Astonishing Spider-Man, maybe? The point being that I would jump into random issues, but I'd be like, what the fuck is going on? Mm-hmm. Because I'm like, the first issue I'm reading is, like, Spider-Man 419. It's like, for example, I don't know, watching, like, Twin Peaks Season 3, Episode 1, and being like, what the fuck? Yeah. For those who don't know, which I guess is everyone listening to this, that's what Henry did, because he's an insane person. No, no dispute here. Yeah. So so I, I basically, I needed the jumping on point. Mm-hmm. And then I didn't know anything about this, but I just walk into a shop and then I see Ultimate Spider-Man 1. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. And there's like Spider-Man Origin written on the cover. And I'm like, okay. And I jump in it and I like it a lot. So I just keep reading it. And then I'll just always go to pick up that issue. And then eventually I got a natural comic shop in my town so I could get newer issues. And then I could actually get into reading comics. But this was a big thing for me because this was the first comic at all that I'd read from the start. And I mm-hmm. actually knew what was going on. And it's probably the reason I love comics in general, you know? Oh, wow. That was part of why I was doing it. And I have to say, coming into this, I was like reading like what like Brian Michael Bendis, who I don't know how old he was at the time, but like fully grown adult, like maybe middle-aged, him writing teenage high school life in 2000. What is that going to look like now? This is probably not going to hold up, but I'm probably going to be nostalgic for it. But now I jumped in, and I, after rereading these first 13 issues, I think this really holds up. I was surprised by how well it holds up, considering it was 20 years ago, and entering a decade which was, as we've discussed before, terrible in many ways <laughs> for culture. Yeah. And also just generally, just like going back to that era, like you just find things that are like, they're close enough to now that they feel weirder when they step over the line in certain ways, mm. with like being offensive or whatever. And this just lands really well. Yeah. As far as I'm aware, you haven't, aside from a couple of like graphic novels here and there, you haven't really read comics. Um, I've read like one kick-ass like volume. Right. And uh, but this is the very first Spider-Man comic I've actually read. Oh really? Yeah. Shit. Wow. Okay. Well, this is a good start then. Yeah. Um, for anyone who doesn't know, I've been like, I, a couple of years back, I decided to get back into comics after having a bit of a break and jumped into Marvel Unlimited. And now I've read almost every Spider-Man comic released in the 20th century. Uh, but I'm on my way to reading all of them. That's pretty Maybe. Yeah. Probably not all of them. I'm probably not going to read every miniseries and crossover. And... I mean, you have a life. You have a yeah. job. 
uh, I have a job. I don't know if I have a life. You make that 90s Spider-Man show. How oh, can yeah. you not have a life? <laughs> you watch episodes of a 90s cartoon and have a podcast about it. All right, so this, this, this is bullying, this book. <laughs> and you can't bully me. You're not getting bullied by someone who should be bullied. <laughs> it's a mystery I'm not, really. Although I guess you're probably higher on the ladder because you didn't read comics when you were in school. Um, not, not for a lack of trying. Yeah, and before this took over the whole fucking, like, world... Reading a comic about superheroes at school used to make people make fun of you, for those who don't yeah. know. It's very weird to me that comics are fine now, but as a your first Spider-Man comic, like, what was this like for you? It was pretty cool. I don't know if like it comes across as a surprise to our many listeners, but I'm a big fan of Spider-Man, you know? And I had opinions about, like, the Raimi series, about, like, the um, web of us, if you will, <laughs> and about Tom Holland and Spider-Man. And... You kind of get a feel for what, like, Spider-Man's all about. But I feel like, as, like, an introduction to the character, like, having seen so many iterations, having seen so the story done so many times before, knowing what was going to happen, I was surprised by how much I kind of was invested in the character. Mm. And it like, felt like very much like a back-to-basics, kind of like, oh, shit, this is Peter Parker. Yeah. This is how he lives his life on a day-to-day basis. Like, taken away from, like, the... The urgency of a two-hour movie or mm. like a villain of the week format in exactly. like the tv shows exactly yeah, yeah and, it just and feels like an actual character an actual person there are like changes they make uh to this and more and more as it goes on but i don't think that they change the things they don't need to it no. wasn't like a part of the problem i'd have with like something like the amazing spider-man is like we can't do what sam raimi did so let's just change things and they're changing things they don't need to change and they're keeping things the same that they don't need, need to, to be the same. Yeah. Uh, this, I feel like, changes like just enough to be fresh Yeah. and streamline things a little bit. So no. a couple of stylistic things which I enjoy, yeah. as in Uncle Ben's ponytail. <laughs> Before I think we jump into it proper... The ponytails. I just mean to say, like, if you haven't read this, I do recommend going out and buying the Ultimate yeah. Collection Volume 1. Especially if you haven't read a comic before. I feel like this is a really good, like, if you like Spider-Man, you're like, mm. what's this comic business all about, too? Yeah. And you... <laughs> <laughs> if, you were, if you're an old-timey gangster from the 1930s and you want to read a yeah. comic... <laughs> <laughs> if you ever, like, feel like that, put down your Tommy gun and, like, go and, like, <laughs> check it out. I wholeheartedly recommend. Yeah, because we're going to jump into, like, spoilers for it. Although I think even if you knew all the spoilers from this, it's still probably fun to read. Yeah. Uh, where do you want to start with this? I wouldn't even know. I, I guess, i tell you what, let's talk about Uncle Ben. His oh. bitching ponytail. They did redo the origin at various points and get flashbacks to Uncle Ben and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. But in general, Uncle Ben is pretty brief in the Spider-Man mythos because he, in The Amazing Spider-Man 15, where Spider-Man debuted, Uncle Ben, you know, he had to die like halfway through. You know? Yeah. In all honesty, I've always liked the origin of Uncle Ben dying for Peter Parker as development, but I've never connected too much to who Uncle Ben is as a person. Yeah. Because you're kind of relying on flashbacks and things that Uncle Ben says. And there are great things that they've done over the years, but I think it's taken a lot of retroactive comics. Yeah. Initially, it's very much like he's he's just gone. This is a dead person that Peter knows. You feel his absence, but you're like, you don't necessarily know who he was as a person other than a good person who did things like, yeah. you know, supported his neighbours and 
And like, like vague, like good dad stuff. Yeah, and it's like he he is great, but like who is he as a character? And I think one of the strengths of this series is that they don't kill him straight away. No, they don't make him Spider Man straight away. They don't. They just take their time with it. Yeah, and it takes a few issues before things start to come together, and mm. it feels quite natural. And yeah. that means that you actually get to see some of Uncle Ben who isn't different from his 616 version, really, other than the fact that he's basically a hippie. Uh, Which is like a welcome change for me. Other than that, like, yeah, you get the fact that you understand where Peter gets his sense of humour from. Yeah. Because he is funny. It's like dad joke. Yeah. But... And going back to what I said earlier about, like, the urgency of a two-hour film, one thing that, like, Cliff Robertson slash Martin Sheen, both very good actors... But both really just being there to just be like, with great power comes great responsibility, Peter, oh no, I'm dead. You can kind of see like the benefits really of the comic in that like without the constraints of like a schedule or of like a runtime, they can actually go out and flesh characters out. And I think Uncle Ben's probably the one of the better examples of that. Mm. I mean, I would go on record as saying like, I love both movie versions of Uncle Ben as characters and as performances. But yeah. you are right in that this gives them a lot more development. Yeah. They don't really get developed in the movies. And you kind of... I feel like there's... In general, with Aunt May and um, Uncle Ben in this, it's very relatable. And I see why I like this as a teenager. Or in my early teens, I guess, when I was reading this. Because... They feel like actual parents. Yeah. And I feel like the problems Peter has with them... It doesn't feel like this kind of patronizing thing you can see when adults write teenagers a lot, where it's like... You don't understand. Yeah, and just running away. And it is kind of that, but like it actually makes a bit more sense. You can see it like happening to like you or like a family member. And like the kind of like reaction that Peter has, or the kind of ways that like Aunt May and Uncle Ben trying to like relate to Peter, Mm. are things that have happened to me, for example, in my life. Yeah, and... You can also understand why they'd be frustrating as parents, even though they're great. Even though um, they're trying their best and they mean well. I think one of the one of the better things is when Peter has his fight with Flash and he's just defending himself and he just like blocks an attack but breaks, breaks uh Flash's hand. And then they end up suing them and then it puts them in money troubles and they don't have much money. And they get like stressed out about it. Yeah, and they and then they stop being like, What the hell were you doing? Peter, like understandably, like he's like, I wasn't trying to fight, and then I'm being attacked at home, and he leaves. But then he kind of overhears a conversation with them afterwards. Where well, they're like, like, we can't afford this shit. Not only is that, but they're like feeling bad for we took it out on him. He doesn't understand that this is because we're worried, and it's not because we're like you did something wrong. Yeah, yeah. very understandable, like parental emotion mm. that a lot of kids don't understand. That it's like the negative reaction isn't necessarily like you're bad, but like. Holy fuck, you did what? Yeah. This person I'm, like, designed to keep alive has now, like, put themselves in danger in a way that I wasn't really, like, prepared for. And as, like, a big part of parenting, I feel like we don't really talk about a lot. And going into Uncle Ben's death, mm-hmm. I fucking love the way he dies in this. Mm-hmm. The fact that they do the same thing of, like, the burglar coming to the house and asking for the money and pointing the gun at them. But the fact that the line he says when he tries to deflate like the tension in a room and he jokingly says look you probably have more money than we do and i just love that line because it's so true yeah but it's also like funny but then you also see how it's like this tragic mistake of like 
he's just this wholesome humanistic person he wants to even like connect and relax this guy who's pointing a gun at him yeah but unfortunately it goes wrong it's the same thing that like spider-man will say in a confrontation yeah yeah exactly and you can see how he's really inspired by him in that way Mm -hmm. and on top of that after he dies you get an entire issue that is just about peter reacting just dealing with his uncle's death yeah it's something, again, that, like, we don't really get to see a lot of in, like, the shows slash, yeah. like, the movies. I don't know. In, like, the first Amazing Spider-Man, there's, like, one a couple of scenes with him, like, where he goes to, like, Flash Thompson and they kind of hug it out, right? There's a couple of good things in yeah. Spider-Man, I think, with it. But I think they kind of devote more time to Gwen Stacy's death than to Uncle Ben's. Uh, I, I'd, I'd say sort of, in terms of the actual grieving. In terms of the actual, like, runtime, I mean, yeah. Yeah, but then... He's still kind of dealing with that death throughout the whole of that movie. Yeah. And I think even with the Raimi one, they still kind of tie Uncle Ben in to the end of that movie. Yeah. But here, like, you just get this thing of him, like, going from, like, shock to rage to finding out what actually happened, like, coming like, back to his aunt, and then also having this, like, moment with MJ of just, like, oh, fuck, like, I just need to let this out. I just need to be comforted. Yeah. Speaking of that, what do you think of MJ in this it feels, like you say, a bit more, like, contemporary, like, teen drama of the time. Mm. If we're comparing it to, let's say, I don't know, like, the comic book, original comic book stuff, but it makes more sense. Like, you think about Peter's character, that, like, someone like Mary Jane would be, like, his friend first. Mm. Rather than, like, a girl that, like, his aunt sets him up with, who's really hot, but she's really into him. Mm. And doesn't really... Ma- Not that it doesn't make sense, or that he's, like, she's too good for him, but, like... That kind of character for him to like open up to someone in that way, there has to be like a, a lot more of like a foundation. I really like the comic version and I like her as this extrovert party girl who mm-hmm. very slowly comes into Peter's life. Mm-hmm. Like the Tiger, you just hit the jackpot. That happens, they go on like one day and then it doesn't really work out and yeah. then it fades away. Then she comes back, then she goes away, then she comes back. It takes a while. Okay. And I think that's all well and good. I, I actually really love that version. This is completely different, but I just really like both versions. Yeah. And it's very different. She's kind of like a mix of the Zendaya, like... She's MJ. not as, like, out-extroverted and, like, bubbly, but there's, like, a bit of, like, something to her. Yeah, there's... In a way. I think it's a mix of that and then the Kirsten Dunst one. Mm-hmm. The only real difference from the Kirsten Dunst one is that she is kind of, like, this quieter girl next door sensitive person who's still kind of like clearly like attractive and known in the school yeah but she's not like the most popular girl and she's yeah. not like the life Super of the party model. yeah you know which is an interesting take i think i think it works slightly better to be honest yeah although but i, I guess like yeah they got more time to develop it here and mm. i do really like the comic one uh the, the 616 one yeah but on top of that we got like a very different Harry Osborn, which I also quite appreciate. Same thing of like having a shitty abusive dad, but him less playing it as like the sidekick to Peter, who's like a bit nerdy, but like he's kind of part of the cool group. Because like, of his riches. Yeah, and he kind of goes in between. You know, like he's still friends with Peter, but then clearly doesn't quite understand stuff of like being like oh yeah just don't give flash the attention and it's like he's fucking bullying the shit out of me like, yeah what do you want me to do so he's kind of a dick in that way but he's also like 
the popular kid who shows a little empathy for them. Mm-hmm. I actually really like his character in this too. I appreciate he's not as much of a loser <laughs> as some like I have a lot of reference points in like the TV shows, mm. which she's obviously better. And like even if you consider like the then the Han version of Harry Osborne, I feel like this version kind of builds upon that and is better version of that. Like it's not going to be James Franco, but not many things are going to be James Franco. <laughs> the other thing to talk about would be. Um... In issue six, it's only at that point that you get your introduction to the Daily Bugle. Yeah. And it's like at the point that Spider-Man is just starting to make appearances and stuff, but he's it's still a mystery and he's still not like cemented as a superhero. Mm-hmm. I really like this whole introduction. I think they really make the Bugle feel like a real place. Yeah. It's a very early 2000s things because the internet is there, but it's kind of an afterthought. Yeah. And it's still all about print. Still very old school. And you kind of get them introduced in that way. I will say, and it, this does bleed into stuff later in in the series that you haven't got to yet, but I think even initially, this is probably my favourite J. Jonah Jameson. Of all medium. Of all mediums, because he's... I mean, I love J.K. Simmons. He's very fun, but I think this... He feels like such a real person, and he is almost a villain, but... There is an understanding there, and his villainy is more like when Peter brings up the bias in it, and he's like, "People will read what you tell them to read." Yeah. You know, it's almost like a cynicism rather than an outright. It's not a bastard, but it's just like jaded and weathered by like several years in print media. <laughs> There's a really funny scene where, well, for one thing, they they get him. He comes in with a photo, but then they get him in as a web editor which i think is a really nice way to like make that job make a bit more sense yeah but still have him in the bugle because like in the early 2000s like anyone of journalist age wouldn't know how to work a computer or like yeah how to work at the web yeah exactly and you, and it's a very real thing of like hey kid you know how to work this computer i i think it's a very real thing of they like, have this version of betty brandt who's associate book, book editor but then she, as an extra task, has to like program the site. And then it's just like her frustration of like, I don't understand this, this isn't my job. And which is, which is 100% like, happens. <laughs> yeah, it happens to us all the time. Yeah. And then like being like, oh, you understand this a little bit? This is your job now. Yeah. There's some nice world building in there, like making reference to like Kingpin, the Murdoch case, uh-huh. you know, something happening in Hell's Kitchen, guy on skull on his chest. Like, these little things dropped in, which I really appreciate. And a really funny scene where he gets the job and Aunt May insists on talking to JJ, and to JJ and you don't hear what they're saying. But then he just assumes, <laughs> he gives the phone back and then he's just like, if you do that to me again, I will toss you out of a window. <laughs> it's just like... Don't put me through that shit ever again. <laughs> and like Peter trying not to laugh because oh. <laughs> he knows his aunt just gave him that shit. Yeah. The same thing like, yeah, like your my mum would do. Yeah. (laughs) Another big major change here is Norman Osborn, or more specifically... The Green Goblin. The Green Goblin. What did you think of this version? Because we haven't got a lot of him yet, but just as an initial thing, he comes in this, he tries to recreate the thing that makes uh, Spider-Man Spider-Man. it's implied it's kind of like a Captain America the First Avenger thing, mm-hmm. where it's about, like, uh, Peter gets, like, something brought out of the attributes of a spider because it was a mix of this Oz formula 
and, and a spider. And Norman's like, well, I can have the heightened attributes of me by injecting it with my own blood. Turns out I was secretly a goblin. Yeah, he was secretly a huge asshole. Yeah. Um, yeah, he becomes a green Hulk. He's basically the Hulk, but with fire generation powers in his hands. Yeah. Like explosive. He's like horned and basically a giant orc goblin thing. Yeah. What do you think of that as a difference? I don't know what to make of it, to be honest, because obviously I'm very attuned to having the Green Goblin just being a crazy rich asshole on like a glider. Mm. But I will say that like having him be the like the result of an experiment that fucks up because of his own like greed and selfishness mm. is like very typical Norman Osborn. Yeah. I loved it when I was a kid. I can understand why people don't like it as much as the regular version. But what I will say with it is that I feel initially he's cool as like I really like the choreography of those fights. Oh, they're great. The, yeah. the, the way it's drawn. But there's not much really to go on as like a powered up villain because he doesn't really do or say anything. It's just, you know, that he murdered Harry's mom and attacked the school. And that's kind of it. What I will say is what they end up doing later with him in this series, I really, really do like. Mm-hmm. But we'll get to that at some point if we maybe do another book club on the next volume in this series. Yeah, I'll be down for that. Yeah, I kind of think like with, uh, what do you call it? Like, Green Goblin Norse Osborn, like, one appeal for me is, like, the idea of Norman Osborn being this hyperpower, like, this superpower billionaire who knows Peter's identity. Mm. And that's an interesting dynamic to me because that's, like, that's a lot of advantages. Yeah. But, like, the way they kind of, like, flip that on his head here, he's another branch of this giant tree of, like, Norman Osborn doing evil shit and then having a mystery of, like, oh, this is... I think that's my dad and like what's going to go on here yeah. I think that's like a different way to put it and a different mm. direction to go with it but I think it really works after the Green Goblin stuff yeah. we then sort of move into like the Kingpin issues yeah which I remember being a huge like uh, thing for me as a kid like really liking it and again I loved it this time it's great what did you think of this version of Wilson Fisk and the way they brought him in towards the end of this uh, volume I think it makes more sense to have, like, Peter, like, go up against, like, crime bosses with, like, superpower elements. Mm. And I kind of love, like, the dynamic that they have here because it makes sense, again, as, like, something for Peter to go up against. I always wanted more of this stuff in the movies because I never understood why it didn't have to have a whole movie about Spider-Man versus Kingpin, but you could at least introduce... Uh, the plot yeah you know like we'll spend like the first act of a movie about him like taking on the mob and they have a superpowered hitman and then that leads to something else yeah because they do that here where it's like a uh, little bit of homecoming yeah yeah kind of yeah yeah, basically yeah and i think they could do that more and it's a shame they didn't really do that with far from home no like the big criticism of Far From Home, it doesn't really like embed you in New York in the way that like Spider-Man should really be embedded in the city. Yeah. And I feel like having like a mob kind of influence is a big part of that. Yeah. And then you can still do it in a fun way. Like he fights the Enforcers as like his big fight and that sort of leads him to Kingpin. Yeah. And then Kingpin brings in Electro, Electro yeah. as his sort of superpowered hitman. And I really love the progression of that because Spider-Man kind of gets his ass kicked a little bit by the Enforcers, but sort of gets out of it. And then when he sees Kingpin, 
Kingpin's way more intimidating than he could afford. He's way out of his league. Yeah. Then Electro comes in and he's like, wait, he's got a super powered person here? What the hell? Yeah. I thought this guy's just a crime boss. And then Electro kicks his ass. They unmask him and throw him out of a window. Yeah. And it's like the most utter defeat. And it's like his first kind of attempt to try and change. Yeah. Because he's like, he's angry about Uncle Ben and then he kind of Basically, yeah, and then he kind of like looks and he's like, I want to change things. How does this kingpin guy keep getting away with it? Yeah, and it's like a very like adolescent kind of like approach to crime fighting, and it does a really good job of like establishing, like, okay, these are the stakes, this is exactly what Peter's up against. Not only does he have to be like stronger than the rest of the guys, but he has to be smart, he has to think like an adult. Exactly, that was the thing with the the smarts because he has that point when he's so utterly defeated. He he's like, "Why am I even doing this?" But then he thinks, "Wait, if I'm gonna keep trying at this, I can't just rely on my powers because they have powers as well." But also, like you know, like knowing that there's danger when you're when he gets the spider sense tingle isn't enough to not get your ass kicked. Yeah, you know? and being fast and being strong is not enough. You've I can still smart. get killed doing yeah. this. So I got to be smart. And then he researches it and finds a way to actually get Kingpin legally implicated. Yeah. By catching him, like murdering someone on tape, which is again, like a really cool way of like him outsmarting yeah. his enemies. Which I don't think ever happens in any of the movies. Um, I mean, Maybe a lot you of the time, argue a lot, it in like the Amazing Spider-Man too. Yeah, I was about to say that a lot of the time there's like some way of I need to use the science thing, but it's almost like a afterthought rather than like a natural critical thinking. Not like a Rocky movie kind of thing. Yeah, it's more about a personal journey a lot of the time. I think. Yeah, um, rather than like this is the strategy I have to use to beat this criminal or this yeah. villain. And I I really appreciate them doing it here, and he kind of does it with Electro too. I really like this version of Electro as well because I think it very much leans into the. This guy's an asshole. He's an electric dickhead. Yeah. What do you think of his design? Because he kind of looks a lot different. He's His skin is kind of like charred. Like he would be if he had electricity coursing through your veins all the time. <laughs> yeah. And he's bold. And he has like a leather outfit with like a little electricity symbol sort of cut out of the collar. Yeah. It's kind of goofy, but I like it. I think it looks realistic. and looks more like, like his old costume looks super stupid. Yeah. It's kind of hard to get around. Yeah. And, like, I appreciate that they didn't go, like, the Miss Dr. Manhattan thing that, like, the Amazing Spider-Man 2 did. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, yeah, it looks like they're, they're kind of the um, crossword scene, like, kind of comic booky, but also, like, fairly realistic in the same way. I have a disappointing thing to tell you. The Dr. Manhattan Amazing Spider-Man 2 thing was influenced by this series. So that does happen at some point. Oh. But I do think that they do it better. Yeah. And then also the fight with Kingpin... I feel like at this point, like, fat jokes are just, they just don't work as well. And they come from this mean-spirited place and it's not really like... Yeah, it's kind of... I don't really know how to feel about it. But there's some fat jokes in this that are really funny. I think it helps that the Kingpin's not actually fat. Yeah, he's super muscular. There's not enough room in his body to handle all of his muscles, so he just looks like fat. Yeah, and not only that, but there's something so infantile and, like ridiculous about going up against this guy who always killed you and he's like you're not getting out of here alive and then just listing off fat joke after fat joke to piss him off he goes like full yosemite sam it's great yeah and it's that again that humor just fucking with him of like 
like, you know, you're going to murder and you're going to like ruin this city and get away with it. But I'm just going to just going to disrespect you. We're going to make fun of you. Anyone who disrespects him, he gets killed. So the idea of someone being so blatant about it yeah. and not afraid of him is just really satisfying, even if, like, maybe, like, obviously those jokes aren't really okay, but I think it kind of works in this context. Yeah. And, yeah, that's kind of, like, the end of, like, the, the main plotline stuff, but I appreciate that this, the 13th issue kind of takes us back to Aunt May. Mm, yeah. And they have this nice conversation where they kind of check in on the Uncle Ben thing now and then. So you have, like, a couple of issues where it's not really on his mind. Yeah. But then you kind of come back to it. And I kind of appreciate that. I can't imagine it's a lot more like realistic to how grieving actually works. Yeah. And you don't want to have him be like moping every issue because it would be a bummer. Yeah, Yeah, there's like talk with Aunt May where she's kind of like, do you like me? You're out of the house all the time. And, you know, you used to have fun with this guy who's now gone. And now it's just me and... Again, it's a very like human... Yeah. And also like your parents died and... You know, you didn't choose to be here, and kind like, of stuck with me. And she, yeah, and it's and for him to be like, no, I love you. You're amazing, and it, it's really like, is it, yeah. I remember like, getting a bit like choked up about it. If I was like a parent, it'd be the kind of thing that I'd wonder all the time. Exactly. You know? Yeah. And like they're both in a really like vulnerable moment, and she's kind of wondering like, this is the only person I have left, but does he want to be here? Mm. It's just such a yeah. And I felt like I've never really empathized with Aunt May yeah. before, but this is the first time where I was like, okay, this person. Is a person rather than like something that Peter worries about. Aunt May is a really strong character throughout this whole series. Like, yeah. I really do like this it, version of her. It kind of makes me think of like the one in the PS4 game. Yeah. Where she's like, yeah, this is like her own person who has this person that she loves very much, but she's not like completely dependent on him. She's not like, manipulating him into doing things. She's got her own thing going on. As well as that, we've also got like Peter revealing to Mary Jane that he's Spider Man. What did you think of that? I'm kind of in two minds about it, to be honest, because, like, I kind of like the idea of having this romantic interest who's kind of wants more from him and thinks he's kind of like an asshole, but the reason he can't do more is, like, because he's Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. So, for example, like, in Spider-Man 2. Yeah. But I, I also kind of like the idea of, like, I guess in, like, Spider-Man anime series, for example, like, nobody knows that he's Spider-Man. Yeah. And there's this thing of, like... It's kind of frustrating at times because everyone hates this person. Yeah. And for like the wrong reason. And it's nice. I think moving forward, it'd be nice to have like someone like Mary Jane who's going to go like, oh shit, like, where's Peter? Oh, oh, he's over here doing this thing in a way that like Ned does for like the Tom Holland Spider Man. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's like a decent way of doing it. But um, yeah, I'm kind of interested as to like how that will affect the Spider Man MJ relationship going forward. Mm. Because I don't imagine they're going to get together right away. One, one thing I'll say about that whole thing is that I think it... I normally don't like the whole, like, oh, we got to reveal the identity to everyone and it just ends up so many people knowing. Yeah. Uh, which I think happens a bit too much in the movies. But here, I like it because he's 15. And, and this is the kind of thing he would do. Yeah, and it was fucking up his relationship with her. And it's like, I want to share this, you know? I actually, you know, want to talk to someone about this. And when he does... Her reaction is great because at first she just laughs because she's like, that's, that's ridiculous. Yeah. But then she's like, oh, this is really cool. Uh, it's like dating a celebrity and we can tell everyone we want to share this. And then and he's it, like, like the actual reality of it hits her and 
she kind of like senses the gravity of it and is like, oh no, this is actually a big deal and this isn't all fun. It's a very teenage response. Yeah. Beyond that, I don't have anything more to say apart from this one line which came out that I know you would have taken note of and it happens twice in it. Yeah. And it's J. Jonah Jameson talking about Spider-Man and then he says to his staff, this is our OJ. <laughs> yeah. And I think at the time, I really didn't, when I last read it, I really didn't know anything about OJ Simpson. And now I'm like, what an insane thing, thing to, to say. say. I mean, obviously, like, he doesn't mean in a literal sense, but... It's like, like kind of saying today, like, for the Daily Mail, like, this is on Meghan Markle. Exactly, yeah. This is someone we can have endless content about. And it kind of makes sense. That it is kind of how it works. You have people who will always generate... I guess now it would be clicks and engagement. Yeah. But back then it's like papers and I guess like 10 clicks. <laughs> Spider-Man will always go viral. Yeah. And it's almost like he jumps on that straight away and it's like less about... Like you think like he, he doesn't really like respect or like Spider-Man at this point, but like it's not coming from this place of like, he's a menace and he must be stopped as much as it... Or like, even like an idea of like, this, this guy's better than us and like, who are we? Which is kind of touched upon in Marvels. It's just, I need to get like my newspaper more sells whatever. Mm, yeah. and it's purely from like a business point of view and i kind of like like it i thought it was really reason. interesting yeah other than that is there anything else you want to bring up no like i think we covered most of it to be honest i think yeah it was really really fun time i remember like when you were telling me about it i was like yeah i'll get around to it mm. and i was like kind of envisioning taking like three four weeks yeah. to like read it and i think i read it in like one sitting <laughs> yeah it's really readable yeah um, extremely readable and obviously i recommend it and if you've never like read a comic book before then you have like no worse place to start no better place to start you have a lot of worse places to start <laughs> if we're um rating it it'll be five bags of popcorn and two cokes <laughs> uh yeah i i think it's excellent it, it held up really strong for me and i was surprised how great the pacing was Mm. more than anything um and the way it introduces these plot lines and makes them all flow into one another i think it's great and i hope that it continues to hold up as it goes forward because i remember liking this all the way through but we'll have to see other than that we will be doing more book club stuff we might do the volume two of this in the future but we will have another patreon episode up soon which will be our next book club where we'll be talking about the night that Gwen Stacy died. So if you wanted to like, maybe like read ahead of that and be like, oh shit, I want to like know what we're talking about. Maybe then you should probably get on that. Yeah, there's a graphic novel that like that you can get. It's the death of the Stacy, so it includes uh, the death of George Stacy and the death of Gwen Stacy. Which we'll be discussing both of those. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess spoilers. Yeah. Yeah. But in general, you can go back. You can also like on Marvel Unlimited, like just or Comicsology or something like just find those issues and read it. Yeah. Uh, Because we'll mostly be just talking about the night that Gwen Stacy died, which is obviously a very important issue. And we'll be discussing Probably one of the most important issues in all the Spider-Man. Yeah. We'll talk about that on our Patreon feed. And in the future, we'll be talking about more comics there. Yeah. Please let us know what you think of the book club here on that Naughty Spider-Man show. If you have any ideas for the things we could do for part of the book club, do let us know. You know where to find us by now. Yeah, you must know where to find us by now. And if you've read Ultimate Spider-Man, you have any comments on it, like send those in by email at 
that 90s Spider-Man show at gmail.com. No, no darts, no hyphens, no nothing. Just as you see it. Yeah. And the rest of our information and stuff will be in the description below with our social media. And I think that's the way that the um, spider swings. Sure. That's us on that 90s Spider-Man show. We hope you enjoyed this little um, introduction to the book club. We hope you, your appetite has been sated for now, but that you're hungry for more. But for now, we're gonna go because it's lunchtime and... I've got nothing else to say. Bye. See you later, fuckers.